We are in a series um, in this month, and uh, I think we're going to touch just a hair in the next month, on the book of Colossians. And we're going passage by passage, chapter by chapter, chronologically, as Paul wrote this book from prison to the church of Colossae. To review a little bit, Mike's done a great job the last two weeks of setting up the context of this book and why Paul's writing, why it's important that we um, understand the message that he's going for, what he's speaking to. So I want to just touch on that really quick and what that is and, and what we've covered. So Paul is writing to the church of Colossae. Paul's never been there. Um, people, people he's discipled, you could say, have gone and worked with the church, but he's not been there himself. And as I said, he's in prison, and he's writing this letter based on really two primary issues that had been reported to him about the church of Colossae. There, and uh, this chapter, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 today, is really going to speak directly to what those issues are. And today I'd like to form and develop what those were, what they meant, and then what it means for us today. There's a reason that the book of Colossians was put in our canonized scripture. Um, it has applications for us. Amen. So uh, there are two things that Paul was looking at. Number one, he was dealing with the philosophy that had come into the church. Now, the church had been established for some time. Um, this book was written around 60 AD. So there were people still walking on the earth that had seen Jesus had seen the miracles, seen the signs and wonders. Um, but in the church of Colossae, there had been a little bit of ph philosophical teaching from the world that had come into the church. And what this was, was an idea of angel worship, where we were taking the deity of um, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son, and we were moving the angels up. That's what the church of Colossians was doing. They were starting to say, hey, these are beings from God. They probably deserve our worship too. These were the ideas of deifying angels in a way that was putting them up near God. So that's number one issue that Paul was speaking to. Number two, along with that, uh, Paul had heard that the church um, in Colossae was letting a little bit of the Jewish law back in, in the way that they were teaching, um, living, applying their lives. Um, and there was a legalism that had gotten back into the church. So Paul wanted to approach those two things. Now in history, we have seen plenty of strange rituals, philosophies, ideas, man-made things. And um, a little lighthearted right now, I want to touch on a few of those that we've seen in history. So we can go ahead and uh, go to my first slide here. We're second slide. All right, so hand-washing. So there was a philosophy um, for some time around doctoring in hospitals, in medical care, that hand-washing really didn't do anything good for you. It was kind of a worthless practice. So uh, doctors, surgeons, um, before the 1860s when germ theory came to be, and we started understanding what was going on, doctors actually wouldn't wash their hands when they were going from a mortuary to uh, childbirth. And uh, we, uh, all over the world, we were seeing incredible mortality rates in hospitals because there was this cross infection going on. So that's one 
crazy idea. We just didn't understand how things were. And the philosophy was of that time, no need to wash your hands. Next one. Um, Trains. Did you guys know that when locomotives came to be, first locomotives, there was a lot of suspicion about this practice and whether people should be on them? Why was this? And this is so bizarre to us today. There was a a belief that was spread and a philosophy, an idea that was spread, much like ideas are spread today, although a little bit slower, that um, trains, uh, if, if a person rode a train, if it got over 30 miles per hour, we weren't so certain that human life and our bodies could sustain going over 30 miles per hour. Matter of fact, this is so bizarre. This is so bizarre. Something that really caught on in the United States was a belief that if a woman were on a train, I know this is bizarre, I know this is crazy, but actually their uterus could come out of their body. This, this was believed, and people were avoiding this new form of transportation like the plague. I, I'm telling you it's crazy. I didn't want to say it, but it's, it's actually what people believed. It's a crazy idea. Uh, number three, cats. In ancient Egypt, people loved their cats so much, and there were some religious elements, real deal, um, that if a cat died in a family, a family cat died, everyone in the family, the ritual was to shave your eyebrows. (laughs) I'm telling you, look at the history book. It's real. It's there. They would shave their eyebrows when their cat died, all right? I'm not a cat person, okay? But I don't think I'm shaving my eyebrows for... Much of anyone. Next one. So um, some of you guys know this. Did anyone in here live a, see one of these growing up or sit in one of these? Anyone? My grandmother would tell me about this all the time, about how babies were transported in the front seat of car. Sometimes they didn't have any kind of car seat. They were just doing their thing. This was the idea. This is the way things were. And... Uh, Things were getting a little out of hand, right, with the babies in the car. And uh, it wasn't until the 70s that, that uh, regulated car seats were becoming a thing in the United States. Next one, this one is really bizarre. Olivia told me about this, and I could not believe it. Um, but in London, in the 1930s, a philosophy caught on that uh, babies needed a certain time of, this is what they called it, airing every day outside. <laughs> Uh, this became a real issue, though, for people who lived in apartments, second, third, fourth floor. So someone came up with this idea that on windows, they would mount these cages so that babies could have the right amount of airing in a day. That is a terrible idea. <laughs> if you see one of those, 911 is the, the place to call. The next one that I want to show you guys This is the Victorian baby yeet machine. This is not real. All right, this is not real. I'm sorry. This is not real. I saw this on Facebook. It's one of my favorite things to look at from time to time. Um, I really believe this was a thing (laughs) when I first saw this. So my point, though, um, in philosophy, in the rituals, and we're going to talk about what that word means, in the things we do, the activities that we live in, the habits we have, Sometimes when we take a man-made route, things can get bonkers really fast. We can get into some crazy stuff. All of these things, besides the Victorian baby eat machine, 
in their day were, were the way that we did things. These were the philosophies of the time. So in Colossians, the reason I bring those funny examples forward is Paul is getting at the fact that, hey, your rituals, your philosophies, the way you're doing things, these aren't from God. These are man-made. The way you're doing this, this isn't from God. And Paul is teaching how we go about taking philosophies that we see and how we apply the gospel to them um, in a way that is effectively applying the simple gospel of Jesus to our lives and to the way the church goes about things. So to start, I want to hit on a couple definitions really quick. Um, Number one, what is philosophy? Now, uh, most of us at some time in life took a philosophy class, if you did higher education at any point. Um, Some of us might have majored in philosophy, and if so, man, I am really going to, I might offend you today. I'm really sorry. Um, But philosophy has so many definitions. If you go look up philosophy, what is philosophy? What's the definition of philosophy? Um, As you might expect, you can hardly nail down what is philosophy, right? Because we have philosophers that uh, we talk about a lot in education, Aristotle, Plato, on and on and on and on. Um, Guys who were really intelligent and had some ideas about how things worked, how um, truth operated, uh, how things should function in humanity, all these ideas, right? But at the same time, we use philosophy, the word philosophy, in a few different ways. Um, Mike, you're a big golfer, right? Big golfer is maybe an exaggeration, but he's a golfer, right? Mike probably has what we would call today a golf philosophy, right? So like a way of doing things. But philosophy really is, when you really get to the root of it, the most simple way you can probably define philosophy is the love of wisdom. So if you break down the word full, uh, philo and philosophy, it's just love of wisdom. I probably pronounced something wrong there, but that's, that's really what we're looking at. So keep that in mind as we go through today. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. So it's a search for, seek for what is right, what is true, um, and what are the implications. Second is ritual, and we're going to touch on this word a, a, a little bit here today, and I'm going to use this word a few times, so I want to be clear in what I'm saying and what I mean as I, as I use it. A ritual is really an act that's regularly repeated in a precise manner, right? So you may have a ritual, most of you do, of going to church on Sunday. That is a ritual. Um, in our faith, uh, something that many would call a ritual would be communion, like we partook of today. A uh, religious ritual. I would like to expand the way we're speaking of ritual today, to talk about um, some wider things when it comes to the application of our text, which is really like our faith-focused activities and our habits. So the things we're doing very regularly, things we're engaged in, and then really our faith-focused activities. So here I'm talking about um, our prayer, our time in scripture, our time in fellowship, our time serving, and our giving, right? Those are just some, some examples of what I'm really talking about when I use the word ritual. So let's get into the text here a little bit. So when Paul's talking to the church of Colossians in, in, uh, in chapter 2, he is, he's really taking the first part of that chapter, and he's talking about philosophy. 
and he's approaching this philosophy, and he's helping the, helping the church of uh, Colossae to see where their philosophy is, see where they've gone wrong, and see what maybe the path forward would be. So starting in verse 1, I'm going to read a little bit. Um, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have had uh, on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea. By the way, Paul had, Paul had also heard that the church in Laodicea had had some similar issues. So that's, that's what that refer- reference is there. And he says, For all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and that you or they would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, church, I've got a burden for you. I've got a burden that you would come to a full assurance of understanding of what is right. And he goes on and he says, this full assurance resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. So here's what Paul is saying here in verses uh, really 1 through 3 and into 4. Paul's saying that philosophy, so um, what he's saying is wisdom and knowledge that we're seeking is only full, complete, bonded, and unbroken in the truth found in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. I'm going to say that again. Philosophy is only full, complete, bonded, and unbroken in the truth found in Jesus. And more specifically, Paul goes there in verse, um, verse 2, and he says, All the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. So Paul's saying, all this mystery of God comes together in Christ himself. Outside of that, those treasures of knowledge and understanding, they're rooted and grounded in Christ. If it doesn't go back to Christ, if it doesn't match up with Christ, it's not right. That's what Paul's implying here. It's not right. Something else I want to touch on here, just a little note that I have, is that uh, subscribing to philosophy that contradicts, contradicts excuse me, the gospel of Jesus is not actually in addition to our faith. So if we have something over here, it doesn't quite line up, that doesn't add to our faith. That subtracts. So when we have an idea, and we see and we look at, at the gospel of Jesus, and we take the principles that we clearly see uh, in the gospel, and if we have something that doesn't quite add up, we can't just put that on top and stack it. That actually just subtracts from what we have. Because the gospel is the source. The gospel is Christ himself. And, and Paul's saying the full assurance of wisdom and knowledge is in Christ himself. He couldn't, couldn't say it more clearly here. Now as we, we go on reading, um, I want to note that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to replace a few pronouns here. Um, that's, that's edgy. I'm just saying that where it says he and him... I'm just going to say Jesus. It just, for me, it helps me be more clear. It's a little side note, but um, the American attention span now, you guys have probably seen this data, it's widely spread, we believe is eight seconds. 
I'm, I'm serious. Eight seconds. Now, I'll tell you, in, in preparing this sermon, I was seeing the, those eight-second things. I was really struggling through, right? Because when I take a whole chapter of Scripture, and, and if you've read some of Paul's writing, you know that Paul gets into these really long sentences. And, I've, and it's not bad. It's, it's wonderful. It's a form of writing. I'm just saying that for myself, sometimes I can get a little lost, right? So a reminder I like to use in here is that when I say Jesus, it helps me reset my attention. Sometimes he and him, I can get a little lost. Who are we talking about? Uh, saying Jesus helps me just clarify. And that's a, it's an okay thing to do when we use it correctly. Is that right, Mike? Amen. All right, I'll take that. So verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Jesus, having been firmly rooted and now built up in Jesus and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So, so Paul is reminding again, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. That is the root. That's the foundation. Having been firmly rooted And now being built up in Jesus, established in your faith. So he's saying, as we go through this process, as we talk philosophy, the root is the gospel of Jesus. Verse 8. See to it that no one uh, takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition. Or in accordance uh, with the elementary principles of the world, rather than in accordance with Christ. For in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Okay, let's pause there. Remember, uh, Paul is talking to the the church of Colossae about this issue they had of of exalting angels up to the deity level of Jesus. So he speaks very specifically to this topic. He says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And he's saying outside of Jesus and the God and the structure of God, there's not any other form of of worship of deity that deserves our worship and our praise. And he said, and in Jesus, you've been made complete. And Jesus is the head over every ruler and authority. So he's saying this is top. So this is that's that's the end of there, that section that he approaches philosophy. And he's saying again. If we get outside of the gospel of Jesus and the truth that we see, and if it isn't matching up to that, we're getting away from the, the objective of knowing Jesus as Christ himself. Now, I want to I touch one more example of philosophy, and I'm going to bring this forward a little bit to how we can see things today. And, and I, I do apologize, this is another comical story. But um, in, in high school, I remember there was this really trusted source for information that we had in the world. And this was grocery store bulletin boards. Does anyone remember this? I, I believe there's still one down at the Ballotin One Stop. Is there? Yeah? A bulletin board where you can go in, you can take a piece of paper. Um, sometimes you ask the manager. Other times I've seen people just stick something on there, right? And you could see job listings. Um, you could see services that you could hire out for, right? And they'd have those little pull tabs on the bottom, right, where people had cut the sheet. Everyone remembering what this is? This was a big thing before we could just post it on Facebook. Um, and, and so th- I had an example where one time in high school, I decided I'm going to use the trust that people have 
in these boards and something that's publicly available. And uh, I'm going to use it for a little bit of fun. So one, one April Fool's Day, um, I made up a sheet that was, it had a picture. Do we have any Star Wars fans in here? It had a picture of, of Chewie, Chewbacca, all right? And I put on it, Chewbacca Roar Contest, all right? And I said, $100 prize. And I, of course, put a friend's phone number on there. And I took this sheet, and I went around to bulletin boards, and no, I did not ask the managers. I'm sorry, I didn't. Because um, I didn't think, I thought I might get turned down. Um, and I went around town, I printed a few of these off, and there was a pull tab with phone numbers, and I just pinned them to bulletin boards. Believe it or not, my friend got a few calls. And people called, they submitted their roar. Um, that, that friend, uh, she eventually tracked it back to me. Um, but it was a good laugh. But what I'm saying is, this idea of human philosophy, the things we see, the things we believe, if we don't filter, then we miss it in the gospel. We miss the instruction of Paul here that he's giving. If we don't say, man, what I see on Facebook, um, what I see people writing in articles online, uh, if I'm not filtering this, not against what Pastor Mike is saying on Sunday, although Pastor Mike says really good things, not against what my favorite preacher is saying on his page. That <laughs> we found Mike's sermon source. It's your favorite pastor online. <laughs> no, you're good. If, if, we're, if we're not running truth by scripture we will be led astray if we're not running truth by scripture in the way it was intended and stated we're gonna be led astray this is the truth of human nature that's why that's what the beauty of scripture is for us right it's a filter for us to look through so paul gets through that portion of talking about philosophy And he goes on and he talks about really Christ as the center and source of our activities or our rituals. And remember, so he he gets on past talking about the the deity issue and the worship of angels. And he goes on and now he's going to deal with the issue of the law creeping into the church. Use of Sabbath, um, the regulations of the law. He's going to speak to it really clearly here um, and, and really Put, put the brakes on this issue for the church. So verse 11, and I'm going to keep with, the, keep with saying Jesus. In Jesus, you were also uncircumcised, I'm sorry, circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with Jesus through faith in the working of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. All right, so pause there. Now, if you haven't been in church for a long time, I want to just add a note on this, on this word circumcision, okay? This is bizarre, and I understand if you've not been in church much. All right, so what Paul is specifically speaking to is circumcision was a practice that the Jews, um, the Jews acted in in the law, ordained by God in the Old Testament before Jesus, and this was a mark of Judaism, that you had, you had stepped out of um, 
you had stepped out of this old life and it was a sign of a cleansing um, by God ordained in the law for the people, okay? So what, what Paul is speaking to is he's using the issue of circumcision as odd of a topic as that is to read in our Bible for today. He's using this as really a, a word that is explaining a whole lot. He's saying a whole lot about the law here when he says that word. He's saying all these rituals that we must do, we must follow, that's what he's using circumcision for. Does that make sense? So, um, so what he's saying here is that in Jesus, you were also set apart from the law. So, I'm sorry, you were also set apart from sin, which was a similar thing of what circumcision was a sign of, an outward sign of. Um, and he said, with, with this surrender to Jesus, performed without hands, so he's saying, without human involvement, uh, in the removal of the body of the flesh, so he's really implying about our sin nature and our, and our sin spirit, by the setting apart of Christ. Now, I understand I'm using some different words there. I'm not trying to reinterpret scripture. I'm just, I'm trying to explain what Paul is, is saying with that word. So verse 13, in, in, I'm sorry, and when you were dead in your wrongdoing and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Jesus made you alive together with himself. Having forgiven all of our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which uh, was hostile to us, and Jesus has taken it out of the way, being nailed to the cross. When Jesus had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through himself. Now hang with me, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regards to food and drink, or in regards to festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. So he's, he's identifying some, some matters in the law. He's saying no one is act, uh, as your outward judge in regard to those things. 17. Things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize by delighting in humility and the worship of angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding firmly to the head, which is Jesus, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. So Paul touches on a few things here, and he's saying the law is no longer the source for how we do things, because the law was fulfilled in the death of Jesus. So he's saying, we're not to, to work at those things anymore as our outward flesh, because Jesus has done a work inside of us that sets us apart from the law. And it sets us on a heart of surrender to Jesus, to where the things then we're doing outwardly are about um, what Jesus has done inside of us by his work on the cross. Paul touches on another thing, and he says um, about someone who's bringing these ideas and this, this legalism in and the worship of angels, he's saying, he's saying about these people, they're taking their stand on visions they've seen, but they're being inflated without cause by their fleshly mind. So here at Victory, we do believe that the Lord gives us visions, and he gives us dreams, and they're from him, and they're, and they're meant to edify us, 
Um, but what Paul is speaking to is, is the case where we can take those visions, take those dreams, take those things the Lord shows us, then we're improperly inflating them with our human mind. We're not filtering them through Scripture anymore or through the work of Jesus, and we're getting lost in the objective that Jesus was using those for and giving them to us. So Paul's giving a caution there that um, when we have visions from the Lord, and this is important to understand, those can get skewed by our human mind. We still have to filter um, through the gospel of Jesus. Verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, all of which refer to things that are destined to perish with use in accordance to the commandments and teachings of man? So he's saying, why if you are, if Christ has died for you, why are you still taking on the elementary principles of the world of don't handle this, don't taste this, don't touch this? The legalism, the thing that, that the rules we live up by for an outside appearance. When Christ has already done the work inside of us to, uh, to sustain that need for walking with God, right? It's starting to come from the inside of us rather than rules and legalism that are coming from the outside to us. 23, these are matters which do, uh, which do have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fresh, fleshly indulgence. So Paul's saying that these actions of the law of saying, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to touch this, I'm not going to taste this, but they're without the heart that's coming from the gospel of Jesus and, and Christ crucified, um, those aren't actually helping us against fleshly indulgence. They're just... They're just helping us sustain life outwardly. They're not actually doing a work on our heart. So that's through verse 23. I understand. I just read a whole lot. If you need to take a deep breath, take a deep breath. That was a lot. Um, but there are a couple key takeaways that I want to hit before we close here today. And number one, Paul is saying philosophy can't save us. He's saying that um, philosophy is full, complete, bonded and unbroken into the truth of jesus and he's saying that our works are not helping us in the process of sanctification if they're rooted in man-made religion i'm going to say that again our works aren't helping us in the process of sanctification if they're rooted in man-made religion so how do we apply this how do we take colossians 2 and we see okay i can i can see what paul's saying to the church um, I see what he's getting at. I see the issues they had. What does this really mean for us today? And I, and I just have a couple questions I think we can ask as we, as we close here. Number one, um, what is my first source? Where's the first place I'm getting my information, the things I believe, in this search for wisdom, in the idea of philosophy? What am I going to first? Is it a human ver- voice or is it from God? Is it actually from God? Is it actually backed up by Scripture? Um, and, uh, number two, what does the Bible say about, um, the issues with thoughts and activities that I'm engaging in? What does the Bible say about them? Um, sometimes we got to step back when we're taking the process of sanctification, which is us being separated from our sin and set apart to serve God. And in the pursuit of God, we got to take, take a step back sometimes and look at the picture of our lives and say, 
man, I'm doing this. I'm doing this activity. I'm going over here. I'm engaging in this. I'm uh, doing this with these people. Sometimes it's important to take a step back and take an inventory of our lives and say, man, God, what of this really lines up with what you would have for me? What of this lines up with what you've told me in Scripture? And then how do we really look at that and apply it? Now, I would propose to you that um, I don't think we are really made to go be uh, um, wolves in sheep's clothing hunters, right? I don't think we're made to go hunt all of that out. I think, I think the app, sure, there's things like where Paul is today, where he's seeing something in Colossae, and he's sending a letter, and he's saying, man, you guys are off on this, right? He's going directly to the church. I'm not a big fan of us saying, all right, let me filter all these things I'm listening to in Scripture. Then let me go make a Facebook post about, like, where this is wrong. I saw something this week where it was, like, someone on Facebook that does sermon reviews of, like, a lot of the big-name pastors. And I just thought, man, if that's our objective in the way that we're applying this, we're missing what's inside of us still. We're missing what the Lord wants to do inside of us still. And then the, the other thing that I just want to touch on as we close is that any activities, um, habits, or rituals that aren't motivated by the love of God that is shown in Christ crucified on the cross um, are not being done unto God. They're either driven by our pride or our pain. Anything that's not motivated by the love of God even if it looks like a good faith-focused practice. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's serving. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's being in your word, attending prayer meetings. If it is not driven by a love for God, which Jesus demonstrated on the cross, then it is not for God. It's for us. It's being driven by our pride or our pain. So this sanctification, it's a journey we're on. It doesn't have a destination on earth. We're not going to figure this out. But Paul is saying, let's get started on this. Let's, let's not get caught up in these empty philosophies and rituals. But let's seek on Christ crucified. God made the gospel simple on purpose so that we can understand it and we can apply it consistently and faithfully. Next week, Mike's going to get into Colossians 3. And I love Colossians 3, if you know the chapter. This is, where, this is where Paul's saying, take these things, take the philosophy and the rituals, and rather focus on this. So I hope you guys will be here next week. Um, it's going to be exciting. It really culminates out of chapter 2. Paul's really leading towards chapter 3 and what he's got to say there. So let's, let's close in prayer and get on into our week. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord, first and foremost, we just thank you for the sacrifice of the cross and the way that you fulfilled the law that you gave um, to your people in the work of Jesus on the cross. Lord, I just thank you for the demonstration of love that was poured out by your blood there. Lord, I thank you that um, our focus is no longer on what we're doing on the outside. Um, it's no longer on the work of the law and the do's and don'ts of the law. But Father, our work is focused on the love that you have for us and the love that Jesus demonstrated for us being rooted inside of us and coming out, uh, coming out of us in accordance with Scripture. Lord, I just thank you that um, you give us the ability to reason, 
And Father, I just ask that our ability and our desire to reason would be dependent on you and your scripture. Lord, help us at victory. Help the victory family, Lord, process things through the lens of scripture and the work that you've done in us and for us. Lord, that we'd not be drawn away by the philosophies and rituals of the world, but Lord, you would be our number one focus and that you would be our number one aim in everything we do. Father, bless our family as we go out uh, into the world this week. Lord, would we be a light for you? Would you shine through us um, and help us live unto you through the love that you have for us this week? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.